I was a freshman in college, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I did not, I'm going to say this really strongly, I did not want to work with middle schoolers. And so I was a small group leader for middle school, obviously, that's how it works, when you don't want to do something like that. And so I was a small group leader for middle school, and I'm not kidding you, I was literally not only wanting to bang their head against the wall, but I was wanting to bang my own head against the wall some nights when I was leading a middle school small group as a, as a freshman uh, in college. And so I would leave so frustrated some nights, and I would be like, did they hear anything I just said? Um, do, what in the world is happening here? Like, there's no way a middle schooler can know Jesus. God, please don't let me ever work with these students ever again. And then here I am 10 years later. I've been the middle school pastor for 10 years, and, and, and that's just how God works sometimes. But the things I did as, as a small group leader, I'm just like, man, if I would have done some of the things, like if any of the leaders now did some of the things I did then, I would have to kick them out. Like, I wouldn't let them be a leader in middle school anymore. And I'm like, I did that stuff. There's some rules in our guidebook because of me. And I won't tell you what they are. But I'm just saying there's a few in there because of me and maybe some friends that led with me. Um, so all that's to say, I've learned a lot in the past 18 years. Um, but I've got a lot of, of, of things that I look back on and I'm like, man, I was not mature at all. Not nearly as mature as I thought I was in a lot of instances as I've been growing up. And it, it, it pretty much directly relates to the verses that we're talking about tonight. Because you've got this older pastor in Paul who's writing to this younger pastor in Timothy. And he's giving him all this advice. And in this particular passage, we see some very direct, like, specific advice for him that I think is something that we can all get something from. I know it's something I've gotten a lot out of over the years and continue to get stuff out of. And so we're going to look at that tonight, talk about it, hopefully learn a little bit from it, hopefully mature a little bit from it, uh, so that we, and maybe you, hopefully, cannot make some of the same mistakes that I made, um, although you're going to make some of them, because that's just what happens. That's just life. Like, you, you make some mistakes to learn from them and grow from them, but you can also learn from other people's mistakes, so you don't have to necessarily repeat them. So hopefully we can do that a little bit together tonight. So let's jump right in to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and, uh, and we're going to read through verse 16. Okay, this is what it says. It says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them because or persevere in them. See, stingy, stingy, I can't read. Um, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's talk about something just kind of right out of the gate. If one, even based on the description I gave you before I read that, you hear, okay, pastor writing to another pastor. So how does this apply to me? Because there's not a huge demographic of pastors um, to, to read this necessarily. So it's like, if, this, if we're in a room full of people who aren't pastors, what are, how is this applying to me exactly? Well, it, the, the answer to that is kind of in the very first verse, verse 12. Um, it says, let this be an example for the believers. 
So the, the description and the things that are written in these verses that we just read is meant to be an example for believers. So believers would entail anybody who's a follower of Jesus. It's meant to be an example for them. And so you think about an example in a class, math, you know, math problem example. The math problem example is meant to be the thing that you learn from so that you can solve the math problem, right? So same thing here. It's, it is a description for a pastor of this is how, these are some things you should do to mature as a pastor. But that example is meant not just for you, it's meant for all believers to follow. You with me? So when we're reading this, this isn't just for the, the, the pastors or the, the priests or the, the, the people that work at the church or anything like that. This is for all of us who are following Jesus, okay? So there's stuff for all of us to take out of this. So with that... Um, one thing that we want to look at is the very first statement, right? It's, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Has anyone here had that happen? Like, you know someone looked down on you because you were younger. You might have said something that was completely right or biblical or true or whatever, and somebody looked at you and they kind of dismissed you because, you know, you're young. You're, you're, you haven't even graduated high school. Why would they listen to you? So they kind of dismiss you. Uh, I feel like I had that a lot. I, I feel like growing up, I would have that happen a lot. Even as a young leader, like coming out of high school, sometimes that would happen. I would feel that way. I would feel like somebody just dismissed what I said because I was young. But what's interesting is think about what maturity actually is, okay? Because typically that's how we judge. That's the whole point of age is just to help us get a gauge on maturity, right? Isn't that typically why we ask ages when it comes to things like leadership and serving and things like that? We're wanting to know maturity, typically. How much life have you experienced? How much have you matured? So here's my question to you. Is age a great indicator of maturity? No. Why in the world would you say no? Has anyone experienced an example of someone older not being mature? (laughs) Surely not. I've never experienced someone older acting immature. No, it happens all the time, man. We, We experience adults um, in our church that sometimes forget how old they are and, and, and how mature they should be at this stage in their life. And they act completely immature. And then there's also moments where I see one of you or even some of our middle school students, and they act way more mature than their age. And I, and I know you've experienced that because I'm sure you've, you've done that before. You've been that person before. You've seen friends be that way before. They've I- expressed some kind of wisdom or they've done something in some moment that seems way more mature than their age. And so that would kind of lead us to all see that age is not a great indicator of maturity. And you can't gauge maturity based on someone's age. So... For that statement to be kind of the thing that Paul leads with because Timothy is young is meant to be an encouragement to him, right? It's like, look, just because you're young, don't let people look down on you because them looking down on you is them using an indicator that's not a good indicator of what your maturity is as a pastor, as a leader, as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Like, that's not the right way to gauge you anyway, to to try to figure out where you're at in your walk with Jesus and your maturity, your spiritual maturity. And so... This, and this is talking about physical maturity as well as spiritual maturity. You know what I mean? Like some, because all of us have, you have a physical age. You were born on this planet and you're now, whatever your last birthday was, that's how old you are. But we all have a spiritual birthday too, right? God says we're a new creation when we come to know Jesus. 
So it's like we're born, but then we're born again. And so you've got two different ages going on. Some people lived a physical life all the way up until their 30s or 40s before they came to know Jesus, and they're only a three-year-old Christian. Some of you lived a life up to you were about seven or eight physically, but then you came to know Jesus, and now you've been walking with Jesus for about seven or eight years. And so your spiritual age is about seven or eight, while your physical age is whatever the math is there. What is that, 15-ish? I don't know, guys. I went to East Paulding. (laughs) 17, there we go. So, so you get what I'm saying? Like, age doesn't determine maturity, whether it's physical or it's spiritual. Uh, because there's some of you in the room who have been walking with Jesus longer than some of the adults in the room. Um, and that doesn't make you more mature, but it also doesn't make you less mature just because of the age. Is everybody with me so far? So, age, not a gauge. That could be the little phrase you want to... It's the phrase that pays. Sorry, I've been hanging out with Todd way too much. Um, So age is not a great gauge to figure out maturity. Uh, So don't let people look down on you because of your age. Don't let that, not only don't let people look down on you for that, but here's the other thing we do with age sometimes. Um, We use it as a pass. Anybody ever done that? You don't have to say it out loud. Keep it to yourself. Um, But has anybody used your age as a pass? Like, man, you did something dumb, or somebody else gave you a pass because you're young? It's like, oh, they're just 15. They just did something dumb because they're 15. Or you are like, oh, well, I'm only, you know, I'm only a sophomore, so it's it's fine. Um, So if age isn't really a great gauge to figure out maturity, we also can't use it as a crutch or a pass on things that we already know we shouldn't have done particularly when it comes to our our relationship with Jesus and following after him. A lot of you know that God hasn't called you to certain things, yet you have done those things, and then you use your age as like an excuse or get-out-of-jail-free card to like be like, it's okay, because, you know, you're only this age once. You're only young once, and I'm young, so it's okay. I'm just telling you it's not a good excuse. Like, it's not a good reason. We don't see that as a, a reason to justify sin. It's not a reason to justify you making bad choices. It's not a reason for you to be disobedient to what God's called you to and to rebel. It's just not. It's like if um, my son, if he breaks a rule in the house, which never happens, they're perfect, I promise. Uh, Just kidding. They literally like almost went swinging at each other's faces right before I got here tonight. Um, But when they break a rule and and they know the rule, and I get on to them about the rule, and they're going to get in trouble for it. Uh, they, if they say, they don't say this yet, they haven't picked up on the fact that they could use this as an excuse, but if one of them looked at me and said, but daddy, I'm only six years old, number one, that would be so cute, and I would have a hard time disciplining him. But it wouldn't be an excuse, right? It wouldn't be a legit reason to not punish him. He knows it's not okay. It doesn't matter how old he is. He knows. And so it's the same thing for us as we follow Jesus. We can't use our age as a pass or an excuse to just do whatever it is we want. um, Because at the end of the day, that's the thing that's just going to feed the stereotype of, oh, they're just young and they're dumb and they just do whatever and they're immature. When that's really just not the case. That's not accurate because age isn't an accurate measure of maturity. So um, 
just to kind of reinforce this, I still do, do dumb things. Like the fact that I'm older hasn't really, it has changed the frequency in which I do those things. I don't do them quite as often, thankfully. Um, and I don't do the exact same mistakes over again. I, I'm not riding on vans on mission trips anymore. Um, like Teen Wolf, uh, I'm, I'm picking up on the English language not a whole lot better. I've already proven that. Uh, but a little bit better. I at least got, I've got stingy down. Um, and I get that it's stingy. But I still do stupid things. Like um, <laughs> I was thinking about, I mean, the last time I was in here, I was singing Little Mermaid to you guys. I mean, that's stupid. Like, that's not a very sign, of, that's not a sign of maturity, the fact that I would come in here with that. I don't know if you saw the bad spray tan video from, from last week, but um, there's that. I still do dumb stuff like that. But that was for the children, right? It's for, it's for, it's for, our, for my middle schoolers, for you guys. That's the only reason I did it. Um, but then I, I also have these moments where I put my foot in my mouth. Anybody else, has anybody done that before? You said something. Uh, I remember at the, the anniversary Sunday back in September for 20 years at, at Westridge, um, I was talking to somebody, and they were, it was a guy and a girl, and they were just sitting there uh, talking. And I was like, hey, so how long have you guys been dating? And they immediately, like, they both kind of, like, eyes went big, and they looked at each other. And I was like, oh, no. They're not dating. <laughs> but yet, I think they dig each other right now, and I, I think I'm messing it up. So as soon as I caught the look after I said it, I just kind of looked at him like, you guys aren't dating, are you? And they're like, no. And I was like, and I just made it real awkward, didn't I? And they're like, yes. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Y'all have a good night. And I just, <laughs> and I just walked away. Cause I'm like, I don't know what to say to redeem this moment. And, and I don't want to dig anyone into a hole here to make it worse. Thankfully, I saw them at Christmas at the Christmas services, and they were dating. So everything worked out. I didn't mess it up for them. Um, but I still do dumb things all the time. Those are just silly examples, but I see myself doing things. I'm like, dude, that was not the smartest move. I, I do things, and I'm like, man, I've, you would think by now I would have got started to get this, but God is continuing to show me things that I can mature in, and I can grow in, and I can get better at. But I love that, that Paul actually gives us a list in these verses. He gives us things to specifically focus in on and look at, and so we're going to read these, ver- these, uh, these things, okay? So your maturity, even though it can't be judged by age, you can evaluate it as a Jesus follower, by these things, okay? And so here they are. Uh, And this is just in the order that Paul lists them. The first is speech. Your speech. The things you say that come out of your mouth, I think a lot of us have heard that there should be no unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouth. We read about that in the New Testament. Um, But there's there's all kinds of things that we say every single day that can either point towards the fact that we are following Jesus or can point to the fact that we're not following after Jesus. And I think all of us, hopefully, um, have moments where we point towards Jesus, but I think all of us have moments where we definitely don't as well. And so Paul's saying, hey, this is an area, Timothy, you need to look at. This is an area you need to lead by example in. You need to help people who are following Jesus to see what it looks like to follow Jesus with your words, to follow Jesus with the things you're saying, are you saying things that are building people up? Or are you saying things that are building people down? Building people down, what does that mean? That's not even a phrase. Tearing people down, Brad, that's what I meant. So what are you saying? How are you saying it? Did you know that communication is like 70% nonverbal? That's a real stat that I got from, from Hitch, the movie. 
And so the things you say with your face, I'm not kidding. When my wife says what, just the word what to me, it's all about what does her face look like when she said what. Because if she says what, like that, then I know she thinks I'm an idiot for whatever it is I just said or did. If she says what, it's more like I didn't hear you. Speak up. Um, or if it's like, what? It's like, that was really dumb. Like, you really need to, th- I thought about just what I wanted to say just then, if I just wanted to say what, or if I wanted to add things to it, but instead I'm just going to say what, but I'm going to give you dramatic pause beforehand to let you know just how dumb that was that you just said. So just in her facial expressions, I can pick up different meanings in what she means by just the word What? And so when we say things and phrases and we say things to people, interact with people in our classes, in our schools, with our families, our friends, so much of our communication is not just in what we're saying, but how we're saying it. What's your body language when you're saying it? What's the tone in which you're saying it? What's your face saying when you're saying it? Some of you say things without saying anything. You're, literally your faces, your body language, you haven't said a word, but yet you said like a hundred words. And people know exactly what you're thinking. You can make people feel really good or really bad about themselves based off the things that you communicate, both verbally and non-verbally. And so God has called us to be those people that bring life and bring joy and bring love and bring grace into situations. So if we're the people that when people are around us, the communication they get from us is the opposite of all those things, we've got something we need to look at. We've got something we need to grow in. We've got something we need to get more mature in, if we're wanting to be an example, if we're wanting to follow Jesus the way that God is encouraging us to here in First Timothy. So, uh, first one, speech. The next one is conduct. That's like, that sounds like a word straight out of school. Um, how's your conduct? But it's what you do. It's the things that you do. It's the way you treat people as well. So, I remember getting the conduct grades in school, uh, I remember the thing that you, you use, usually for me would always get me in trouble was when I was disrespectful um, to a teacher. I would, I would tend to try to be a class clown and like cut up and make people laugh. And so ultimately it would wind up being disrespectful to the teacher because they're trying to teach, do their job, and I'm trying to like make people laugh because this, the class is my stage or something. I don't know. Um, and so I, I'm doing things that ultimately are coming off as disrespectful to the teacher. So I would get in trouble because of my conduct. And the way we treat people, the way we respect people or don't respect people, is reflective of how we value them, of how we feel about them. And so, for me, going through school, if I'm constantly disrespecting teachers all the time, they obviously don't feel that I value them at all and what they do. And for a teacher, man, they, they, they're literally their job is to invest in generations of students coming through their school. That is their job. Now, some of them may not, it may not seem like that's their job. It, they may not convey it that way, and you might not think of it that way, but that's really what they do. And so for me to disrespect them was me not valuing them, and, and ultimately it's, it's not reflecting God's character towards them and how God feels about them. And then I think about the kids that, um, if, if I ever made fun of anybody, like growing up, or, or if I ever talked to anybody in a way that was trying to make them feel less than so that I could feel more than. Like, all that is how I conducted myself with other people. How I treated other people. How I showed value to other people. If I showed people that I loved them, I cared about them as a person, or if I didn't. And if I didn't, 
That's, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know how else to say it. It's literally straight up anti the Bible, anti what Jesus is about. For us to not value people is the opposite of what Jesus stands for. And so it's like, dude, that's like, that's something to really look at because I know, because I hear stories all the time of students not valuing each other. Yes, it comes out in speech, but it just comes out in just the way we interact with each other. The way we respect or don't respect each other. The way we portray ourselves and the way we portray how we feel about other people. And it's, in a lot of cases, man, it's just coming off straight up like hateful. And in a lot of cases, it's Christians that are coming off that way. And so then you look at this and you look at how Paul is encouraging Timothy to live his life so that the, the followers of Jesus that are there with Timothy can know what it looks like to follow Jesus. Man, it's sobering because it's like, dude, I, the way I conduct myself around people every day has a huge effect on how they view not only me, but how they can view God and how they can view Jesus. So the next thing on the list that he, he mentions is love. Just how we're doing in love. Now, love is mentioned all over the Bible. Uh, we know from 1 John that God is love. Uh, we know that God's love is made complete in us and how we love the people around us. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The next is to love your, your neighbor as yourself, right? So love is a huge deal. Um, you read in, in Corinthians that uh, out of all the spiritual gifts, none of them mean anything if you don't have love. So love is like the cornerstone of so many of these things actually working and happening. So it's one, do you understand how much God loves you? Because the same amount he loves you is the same amount he loves the person next to you and the person next to them because he loves all of us that much. So if you're understanding how much that you're loved, it helps you understand how much other people are loved and then it enables you to understand more of how you're supposed to love. And so how is our love looking? How are we doing on that? All these are connected. So the, the conduct, the speech, again, they're like, if they're not rooted in love, now we're seeing where the issue is. So we need to come back to love and start maturing in our understanding of that, understanding of, of God's love for us and how we're supposed to love him back. So how are we doing in the love department? Are we understanding it? Are we getting it? We just sang about it, man, that song. The relentless, the reckless love of God, we talked about that too. So... Love is huge for this, but um, the other two things are huge too because the next one's faith. And again, these are all connected. So if you start to learn more about how much God loves you and how much we're supposed to love the world and love the people around us and, and even love ourselves, not because we're awesome, but because God loves us, we have to have the faith of knowing that there's a God that exists that really feels that way about us. We have to have the faith of knowing that even though we can't see him, that he is very real, and he is very active, and he is working, and he is doing things. And he is present, and he is not this far-off, distant God, but he's a present God. And so our faith in knowing that God, and following that God, and trusting that God is huge in following these other things and enabling to, us to evaluate those things and continue to grow and mature in them. And then the last thing we see is our purity. So purity is interesting because this is one of the, this is, this is a, in some ways it's external, in some ways it's, it's internal, but it, it deals with us personally. 
There's so many verses that talk about the holiness of God's people, like that we're meant to be this holy and set-apart group of people that are pointing people to God. And so what we allow our, ourselves to do and, and be a part of plays a huge role in where we're at in our purity, in our holiness, in our pursuit of this holy God, in our representation of Him. And so when you start talking about purity, then it, it, and you start talking about yourself and what you do with your body and what you do with your thoughts and what you do with your time, it can start to get kind of touchy, and, and it can start to get kind of like, there was no pun intended there, by the way. Um, it, it can start to get personal, you know? It's like, man, don't tell me how to live my life. This is my life. This is, this is, this is my body. These are my thoughts. This is my brain. Like, let me do what I want. But then you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our body's not ours. Like, God made it in the first place, number one. So we need to kind of remember, this thing's just on loan, okay? God gave it to us. You didn't make it. You had no part in making it. God made it. And then God used two other people to help make it. And it wasn't you. So when we think our body's ours, it's not. It's God's. And not only that, but it was bought with a price, like not only your physical body, but your soul, your spirit. God made that too. And he gave Jesus for it. And so everything going on here that we think is ours and is us, it ultimately is God's. Like we are meant to be God's. He made us for us to know him for us to experience him and for us to follow him. And so if that's true, that means all of these things, this isn't too much to ask, you know, for us to be an example in our speech, our conduct, our love, our faith, and our purity. These are all things that fall right in line with the fact that we are meant to be God's, his people, his sons, his daughters, and to be out into the world living the way Jesus lived his life. So then you, you take that, right? And you take this whole idea of we're, we're meant to evaluate, we can evaluate kind of our maturing relationship with Jesus and our following Jesus through this list, these things that are happening in our life. And then you sometimes, I, I don't know if you've done this, but sometimes I know I've f- felt myself going in this place and I've been in this place before where you start to get into not only evaluating yourself off of that list, but you start evaluating everybody else off that list. You start looking at other people's speech. You start looking at other people's conduct. And you look at their love. And you look at their, their, their faith. And you look at their purity. And then you start calling them out on that stuff. And then you read 1 Timothy 4. Nope, back it up. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. And it says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, you, when there is a huge log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. A bunch of us, a lot of us, will jump right to our neighbor. We'll jump right to our brother or our sister, and we'll start calling them out on all their stuff. When we're not even looking at ourselves. We're not even seeing the junk that's right here with us. And so God's just reminding us, listen, yes, there's some things you can use to evaluate your, your life and how you're maturing. Yes, there's some specific like things that will help you in that. 
Um, and yes, there is an element of helping each other in following those things. There's accountability to that. There's talking about it. There's sharing. There's praying for each other. But don't jump to, to those people if you're not even looking at yourself. If you're not being honest with yourself and looking at your own moments of hypocrisy. Because nothing's going to turn somebody off quicker than when you jump down their throats about the stuff they're doing when you're not even acknowledging the stuff that you're doing. Both have to be happening. And there's got to be a relationship there, right? There's got to be the things that are listed in that list. If there's no love in that conversation, that conversation's not going to go well. If you have no regard for your conduct and your speech towards that person, the conversation's not going to go very well. Because that's not what God's called you to. He hasn't called you to call people out in judgment and in hate and in trying to make yourself feel better. He's all about calling people out in love and in grace to spur them on to the life that God's called us to in Jesus. And so I'm only saying that thing to guard ourselves from jumping into the the judge and jury seat that some of us like to fall into when we look at passages like this. Because all of us have stuff to work on. We all have stuff to mature in. We all have stuff we can continue to grow in. Not one of us has arrived. We've all got things that we can keep looking more and more like Jesus. So then you come to the very end of of those verses in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And it says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So by watching your life and doctrine and maturing in those things, the things that you know about God, the things that God's saying about himself and saying about you, what are you being saved from? What is it talking about there? What is Paul warning you from that you're going to get saved from if you actually watch this stuff and you mature in this stuff? Well, the answer seems to be it saves us from ourselves. It saves us from our sin. And when we're continuing to press further into our relationship with Jesus, then we begin to, to get further and further away from the things we default to, the things that we tend to do on our own, the things that ultimately hurt us and hurt other people because they ultimately wind up being sin. And so these things are helping us to stay rooted in the gospel, and they're helping us stay Uh, dependent on Jesus and his Holy Spirit in us to actually mature us. These things that that Paul's calling us to, that God is encouraging us in, when we press into those more and we continue to evaluate our life more, it makes us more dependent on Jesus because we realize we can't do that by ourselves. You can't say all the right things. You can't act nice enough. You can't be loving enough. You can't have enough faith. You're never going to be holy enough. You need Jesus for those things. You have to have Jesus for those things. And so seeing these lists like this, seeing this description like this should help press you into the gospel more, press you into your relationship with Jesus more, and help you realize how much you need him for this to actually happen. Because at the end of the day, man, you guys are the church, and you represent Jesus. There's just a few more weeks left of school, For some of you seniors, you literally only have a few more weeks left of this whole stage and space in your life. You're about to move on to a whole new era and things that God's going to lead you towards. 
the rest of you are about to move up to another grade, but you've just got a few more weeks in the grade that you're in with the students that you're around. Some of those students will be gone next year because they're moving. or they're, they're, Who knows what could happen, but at the end of the day, you've got just a few more weeks with who you're with. And so because of that, and you get this chance to represent Jesus, this encouragement to, to look and evaluate our, and look and evaluate our lives in these certain areas is huge, man. Because it can help people see who you're dependent on, who you're leaning into. How in the world are you so mature? It's not because you're mature because of your age. It's not because you're mature because you're just an old soul. It's not because it's not that you're mature for any other reason than Jesus and your dependence on him. And so don't let your age determine your maturity, but let Jesus be the determining factor in how you live your life so that you can live a life worthy of following. Because at the end of the day, the people who know you, they probably know that you follow Jesus if you do follow Jesus. If you're here and you've claimed to be a Christian, people probably know that. And so they are looking at your life. They're looking at how you live. And so don't let the fact that you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior define your level of maturity. Don't let that be the thing that um, either puts you in this space of being able to do whatever you want because you're young, or puts you in this space of just not knowing enough, or puts you in this space of, I'm just... I'm just too young to be able to do that. Like that's, none of that is true. In Jesus, you have everything you need. You have everything you're ever going to need. So in him, right now, the age you are, you have everything you're going to need, just like will be the case when you're 50. Just like will be the case when you're 70. You have all of the same tools at your disposal. You have the same God there with you right now. And so these last several weeks, live your life in that way. In the way that we're being encouraged by Paul to live it, where it's full of encouraging speech, words that build people up, that we're conducting ourselves around people that shows value and shows that we care and shows that, that, that we really want to know this person. Let it be full of love, like everything that you're doing. Let it just be... When you walk in the room, people know that they're loved. And it's, it's not because you are so loving, it's because God's so loving. And when you're, when you're walking through these last several weeks, man, have the faith of knowing God is with you. Have the faith of knowing that he is going to walk you through. And he's going to use you wherever you go. And in the process that you're continuing to allow yourself to be set apart, you're remaining pure in the holiness of Jesus. You're letting your body be his because it is. You're reminding yourself of that. That your life is not your own, it's God's. And when you fully surrender your life to him, man, you are this this tool he can use to do some amazing, amazing things. So that's my hope, that's my prayer. Not, Not just for you, but for me, for all of us. From this, these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that That we would all be continuing to mature so that we could live a life that's worthy of following. And that when people follow us, that they're going to find Jesus. Because that's who we're following. So let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for 
the fact that we get this opportunity to, to know you, to follow Jesus, to, to even have things like this, this list in 1 Timothy to help us evaluate how are we doing? Are we maturing in our relationship with Jesus? Are we pointing people back to him? Are we dependent on him to be able to actually do these things? So I pray for every single student in this room that they would be able to be doing that. They would use these last several weeks, God, to use um, for your glory. And they would live lives that are worthy, not only of you, but of people following them to you. Don't let any of us fall into the trap of letting our age determine our maturity where we're at in our relationship with you, our dependence on you, God. Let all of that be determined by Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Everybody said, amen.